This is Living Forever, Not an Option, a podcast brought to you by Care Dimensions, a provider of hospice, palliative care, and support services in Massachusetts. Your hosts are Lynn Skarmis and Mary Crow. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Living Forever, Not an Option. It's so great to be back with um, Mary Crow here as the host of this program. This is our first episode of season two, and wow, so much has changed over this past year. The pandemic that we all have been facing has truly impacted us in so many ways. Uh, we've been forced to change the way we live our lives and do so many things. Of course, people still needed hospice and palliative care throughout the pandemic. Uh, so we worked here at Care Dimensions to adapt our practices to meet the needs of our patients and families. So we didn't have to stop caring for our patients. We continued throughout this past year caring, you know, providing them with their best care, with the best care. So here today with us, we have a new guest, our own medical director, Stephanie Patel. Welcome, Stephanie. I'm so glad you could join us today. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. I've been the medical director at Care Dimensions for um, 15 years now. My background, I did a fellowship in hospice and palliative care at the VA hospital in Arizona. Prior to that, I was a family doctor, but my, I really discovered during that time that my passion was really around um, hospice care and end-of-life care. It's great. Thanks, Stephanie. It's really great to have you here. So, you know, first, I just want to just review for our audience what hospice care means. And, you know, hospice care is for people with serious or life-limiting illness who generally have a life expectancy of six months or less and who want to focus around symptom management and certainly quality of life during the time that remains. So hospice typically involves close contact between providers and patients and the families and caregivers. And since the pandemic and the recommendation has been to keep physically distanced from one another uh, to reduce the spread of the, the virus, you know, this has certainly had an impact. So, you know, and certainly the pandemic continued, right? So that, you know, we've continued to provide services through that time uh, with some important changes designed to reduce the risk of exposure for all involved, uh, whether it be patients, families, or even the staff. So can you talk about that some more, about how Care Dimensions adapted to the new pandemic conditions? Sure. So being part of healthcare, we never close. We are open 24 7 365 days a year, including all the holidays. So we never stop caring for our patients and families. Um, like everyone else in March, um, we got word that our employees would have to be working offsite. We don't really say that we closed um, because for us, most of our patients and families are not in our central offices. So we end up going to them anyway. So for us, it was an adjustment of instead of coming into the office, we would start our days at home and end our days at home, you know, still taking care of patients just as we did before, trying to make that as seamless as we could for patients and families. In March, like everyone else, it was a quick turnaround. We had about three days to prepare for this. And luckily with some really inventive IT staff, we were able to get everything going and didn't feel like we really missed a beat on taking care of the 1,000 patients a day that we have on service. We were taking care of both um, patients that were COVID positive as well as those that were COVID negative. 
We continue to take patients referred from the hospital as well as any um, facilities or those at home. We were able to obtain um, much needed PPE so that all of our staff could stay safe while they were out caring for patients. So we were able to amass a large supply of gloves, gowns, uh, goggles, face shields, foot coverings, et cetera, so that um, our, our staff would feel that they could not only be protected themselves, but also protect uh, the patients and families that they were visiting. We also changed to larger laminated badges so that people would know who was behind all of that gear. If any of you saw people on TV at the hospitals, you know, wearing all of their protective equipment, it's quite difficult to see who's underneath all of that. So in order to make our staff more personal, we increased the sizes of the badges so people would have big pictures that they could see. Hospice staff remained available 24 seven. We didn't um, have to change our hours at all and people continued to get visits throughout the evenings and on the weekends. Uh, we were able to, with some changes, continue to allow people to visit at our two hospice houses. What we did was sort of limit the number total per day that could go in and we screened all visitors, including um, asking them about temperature, travel, um, any kind of symptoms that they were having before they entered. We also quickly learned how to do video visits. So we offered this to many patients and families and even staff found that this was a really great way to stay in contact with patients and families, whether they were afraid to have people come into their homes or just if they needed something uh, quickly. And so this is something I think we will continue to do um, even once the pandemic is over. Uh, we increased our telephone check-ins and of course, we provided a lot of disinfecting of our offices, our supplies, our um, hospice houses. Stephanie, I, you know, when everybody went home, it was um, kind of funny. I, I wouldn't go home. <laughs> like, they couldn't even let me. They couldn't even push me out the door. I'm like, I have to be in the office. So it was, you know, in our big building, you know, there was about five of us. You know, we had our supply people who just continually worked with getting all our PPE, which if people don't know what PPE is, it's personal protective equipment that um, our staff needed. So we would watch, you know, watch caseloads of all this PPE come in and how it was being managed internally. And it was um, pretty neat to see everything that took place between IT, between clinical, you know, and I was seeing a lot of it on email, but everything, people were working 24 seven to make sure that everything was put into place and that our care never stopped. So I have to, you know, it was a big applause to Stephanie and her team, all the clinicians and really everybody in the agency that, you know, worked around the clock to get this done. But even after everything that we did, Stephanie, um, you know, all the precautions we took with the staff, patients and families, you know, everybody was, I know, because I kept seeing it, you know, your emails going out to staff, people were still so fearful. And it wasn't limited to just staff, patients, families. We were all fearful. We didn't know what we were dealing with. There were so many unknowns, so many cases that kept showing up on the news and so many deaths. Can you talk a little bit about how we, especially you, because, you know, a lot of the information came from you, kept everyone informed about all the changes that were taking place? Sure. Like you, I, you know, pretty much stayed in the office most days. And a lot of that was around watching, you know, reliable sources of information, including the Centers for Disease Control, some of the Medicare 
sites, our local mass department, public of health, those were, you know, reliable and trusted sources of information. So I would gather all that information. I did do research, you know, on stories you would also hear in the news or, or read in the papers to, to weed out those that were, you know, evidence-based and, and reliable and try to give weekly updates really in a question and answer type format, which I feel like the staff felt that they could, you know, easily digest that information. Plus it allowed them to share it with their patients and families and know that it came from a reliable source. We constantly, every day, watched the Massachusetts dashboards around the number of positive patients, the number of patients in the hospital, the number of tests being done, the percentage of of positivity to really sort of address where we should worry, when we should insist on PPE, more in PPE in certain areas and things like that. I got a lot of questions from staff that I would answer on a, you know, anytime somebody emailed me as well. We also did a, a large presentation with the other physicians around COVID at one of our town hall meetings. So just really keeping people as informed as we could so that A, they didn't have to, you know, wonder what was going on, but also that they were getting true and reliable information. There was also um, a lot of what I call fake news in the social media arena. And so I wanted to try to dispel a lot of those. So I did also spend time on the educational outreach and the, the weekly updates, trying to dispel, dispel those kind of myths and rumors so that people could feel confident in the work they were doing. Yeah, we were getting bombarded from every place, every channel, every news channel, every radio channel. I mean, the the information that was being um, thrown at us was was overwhelming, and there was a lot of different information. So you getting you know the data out, the science based, the backing, the research backed um, information out to us, uh, I felt was very helpful. Uh, I also know that you know our patients and our families had fears; they didn't want our you know didn't want our staff to come in. You know, hospice is a service that wraps around the family that provides that extra support when people need us most. So when you, you know, when you add fear into people's lives and fear of letting people in, um, I know it was affecting our ability to get into um, patients and families homes. And that's why we went, you know, to a lot of virtual visits. Were you able to give the staff talking points for, you know, to be able to say to patients and families about how, you know, the PPE was protective and, you know, different things like that to help the patients and families? Yeah, I feel like a lot of the, the, talking points we gave out just to alleviate staff's fears, I would then turn around and tell them, well, you know, you can discuss the same thing with patients and families and really that, you know, wearing PPE and we requested that, you know, patients and families wear masks whenever we were in their homes, that that was very protective of both the employee and the patient and family. So a lot of times I, they would do those kinds of discussions and sometimes the doctors would get involved as well over virtual visits because initially they were afraid to let people in, but more and more um, people realized that you can't do everything that we do in hospice all virtually. Um, you know, we need to get into the home to provide some of this additional care for them. 
very true. And I remember, you know, at the beginning when we were getting our PPE, you know, trying to get the mask in, trying to get everything in. And then eventually um, when we had enough supply, we were able to offer a patient and uh, family members masks if they needed it while our staff was there, just even for their comfort level to be, you know, to feel more comfortable with our team being there that they were masked as well. So when we continue to keep everybody, you know, informed and, you know, alleviate fears as it goes along. So now yeah, thank you for all that effort. I, it was, uh, you know, I watched it unfold and it was unbelievable. Um, we're going to give Stephanie a minute to, uh, to relax. Cause I'm going to turn the tables on Mary Crow right at the okay. moment, Mary, you know, I know the pandemic affected your, your ability to, um, to, to educate, um, cause you provide community and professional education here at Canada Mentions. And I don't know if our view, our listeners know, but on an average, you can provide up to 500 in-person programs in a year and reach over 6,000 people. I mean, that's a lot of people to be around in a year and you've done it for years and years, which has been great. And, you know, people love coming to your programs, but all of a sudden within a day, it was like, all right, how do we continue? So how, how did the pandemic affect your ability to educate people on end of life issues? Yeah, Lynn, I can still think of the day when things kind of, you know, came to a standstill. And, you know, we, we had to shift. We did just like everybody else. We had to just make changes because I, I it's so essential to get the education out. I think more than ever, you know, when we think about the impact of this pandemic and how not a person in this world has really been untouched by this, uh, whether with a personal loss or whether they've had, you know, even secondary losses and certainly for healthcare professionals, uh, you know, standing by and caring for people and being on those front lines. This has been such an overwhelming experience for people. So I feel like education, it's always essential and, and, and should never stop. So what we did was we shifted and we took all of the education and that we ordinarily do in person and we, we did it all virtually. So what we've been doing is uh, live Zoom programs. We've been doing live webinars. And I was worried because I, I know how overwhelmed people are and, and, and just, you know, people are just overwhelmed in general with just, again, the demands of, of making sure that people are well cared for, but also uh, just the grief that's associated with all of this that has gone over on the year. So I, I wondered if people were going to actually be able to make that shift and come to the educations and they have more than ever. Uh, so what was interesting is, again, we're getting large numbers of people on virtually. People need to have the connections. You know, you talked about that, that physical distancing that is so required during this process. But what I found with professionals and with community members is that they, they really desperately want to have this connection. And uh, the, so the education has continued to go very strongly, but all on along the virtual lines. Uh, so that's been, been really nice to see. We've had large numbers of people coming on. And again, it's it's been very well received. That's terrific, Mary. And I know firsthand, because uh, you and I have worked together for a long time, um, that you and your programs are still in such high demand. I see it every day. And, you know, what our listeners don't, well, I know I promote you, Mary, but, you know, <laughs> you have over 30 years of experience in caring for elders at or nearing um, end of life. And you take that experience with your ability to present information in an informative and engaging manner. And then you add your personality, okay, and weave in a little bit of your humor, which I get to experience every day, uh, <laughs> which is fun, guys, um, and your real-life experiences and your presentations. You're a very sought-after speaker in Massachusetts, and now, you know, I know you get pulled throughout the country, too, so... Um, People who are listening today, if you haven't been to any of Mary's educational programs, 
please reach out. Um, they're very informative and I think you'll, you'll very much enjoy them. Oh, and, you know, and it's great to be able to see how, you know, we've still been able to offer these educational services in a virtual way for people to enjoy. Like you said, people still are looking for ways to connect. You know, Care Dimensions, we at Care Dimensions, we've taken so many steps to safely and effectively continue our services. And I think overall, it's important to continue taking these steps and persevering through, you know, these difficult times because things are still changing. And we want to always be able to continue to provide for our community, our patients, families, and our professional partners. So thank you, Amir, you know, because I know you had to turn on a dime too, and it wasn't easy, but we managed and, you know, it was very well um, received. Uh, so Stephanie, we're going to come back to you. We're kind of ping pong in here for a second. You know, I still can't believe a year has passed. I recently, our organization, and I think you can find it on YouTube, did a, um, a video talking to employees about, you know, this past year and everything that took place. You know, we've managed so much. Now, Stephanie, you're managing the COVID vaccine. Can you tell our listeners about what, you know, what we're doing to vaccinate, you know, our staff, our patients and our caregivers and family members? So as soon as it became a realization that we would have vaccine, you know, I switched my sites on how we would obtain the vaccine for our staff, knowing that it would be really difficult and, and there was going to be very high demand and not a lot of supply. I was able to connect, thankfully, with the Massachusetts Medical Society, and they actually gave us our first 150 doses of the Pfizer vaccine. It was a long process, but we were able to have a clinic that allowed our staff to get vaccinated within our own organization. And once we saw that we were able to do that, it was really successful and we had a lot of staff, more than the 150 of the doses that we had that wanted vaccine, I kept working on other ways to connect with people to get vaccine. And, and luckily we finally made a connection with someone at DPH who saw that we were caring for very vulnerable homebound patients and that they were not able to get vaccines in a traditional fashion. So we were able to get a, a good supply of the Moderna vaccine, which we have been successfully going out and administering to our homebound patients in all three lines. We've been doing our hospice patients, our palliative care patients, as well as our home MD patients, which is our home primary care program. And quickly, as we were going out, people were so grateful that we were able to get them a vaccine that they were then started, you know, relaying to us that what was really hard was that their caregiver was also unable to get out and, and get a vaccine, whether they were also homebound, you know, they often were also um, had a lot of comorbidities and, and were ill themselves. We were able to um, say that we could vaccinate the caregiver, most of whom met the criteria put out by, you know, the Mass Department of Public Health, because most of our caregivers were indeed also older and had comorbidities. But there were a few younger caregivers that were just unable to get out because they spend so much time with their older parent, and we were able to vaccinate some of them as well. So it was just great to be able to hit on those caregivers, as well as the patients that were not really, there was no place for them to get a vaccine. I'm happy to say that you know, this week, the state did roll out um, a program to help vaccinate all those homebound people in the state. So that is great. 
um, we have almost um, used up all of our vaccine that we have been able to get. So um, have been transitioning people over to the mass state program as they're getting more vaccine. But I have to say, working in hospice itself is rewarding, but I've had a lot of people have been going out and vaccinating and it has just really been a wonderful thing to be able to be part of to get people vaccinated because I think it's so important. You know, I, I'll tell you, Stephanie, you know, when I was thinking about with the vaccine and all, I mean, it, it's, it's just like getting that vaccine, you get it just this feeling of hope. I, I, I was wondering how, if you've seen that people are, the vaccine is helping people around their fears, whether it be staff or, you know, patients and families. I do. I feel like that is even myself, you get that first dose, if you, you know, got Pfizer or Moderna, and you feel like, oh, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Absolutely. There is some hope. I that is what you, a lot of what I hear, even with staff, um, when they've been coming into the clinics and they're offered it. And, you know, now we've had some people that were waiting for the Johnson and Johnson, and we've been able to get a small amount of that and give that out as well. And it is, I think it also makes them a little more comfortable having other family members visit, which for a lot of these patients, you know, was their connection to the outside world. So when nobody was able to visit them because they were so afraid of, of getting COVID because of their very vulnerable condition, I think it's just allowed them to be able to see more of their own family, you know, feel like they are protected. Absolutely. You know, so a little bit of more normalcy. I will say, even though we're vaccinated, there's still, you know, the pandemic is still going on. So we're still very careful and and, and remind people to still wear their masks and social distance, even if we are vaccinated. But I think that, that the big thing, as you hit on, Mary, is just this hope of there's some light at the end of the tunnel and they can see some more people. Absolutely. And it's that connection, Mary. You said it before, you know, people need to, people need to connect. What do you say? We're physically distanced, but we're something yeah. about we're... Yeah, that's why the word social distancing, I always try to, you know, I'd rather people are so literal in terms of terms. So when you tell people to socially distance, they they take that as socially disconnecting. So I I like to use the term physically distance so that people, again, knowing we have to remain physically apart while we remain socially connected in other ways. Uh, so I think that's so important because people are, they're, they're social beings. And I think that has been such a huge part. And I hear it over and over in the education is just how much people just want to see one another and hug and, and all of this, just have those connections. And that's been a hard thing for people. Well, this I think has been very interesting today. Um, Stephanie, I want to thank you for sharing your knowledge and expertise. Um, but before we finish, I, I have one more quick question for you, because this pandemic, you know, we, we never experienced anything like this in our lifetime. How do you think the pandemic has affected the way we're going to plan for the future? You know, not, a, you know, I guess, let's say in healthcare, because, you know, in the way our hospice organization works, but what do you think? I think that it has really opened our eyes. I have to say, you know, I've practiced medicine for over 20 years. And you just never really thought it would happen at this scale. And I think now we are much more aware and much more prepared for it if it happens again. And, you know, it probably will happen again and hopefully not on this scale again, because we are more aware, we pay more attention to little things about what's going on in, you know, some of the other countries and other parts of the world. I think we would react much more quickly. I think we have more systems in place in healthcare 
I think even little things like PPE, you know, the idea that we shouldn't be relying on other countries for everything. And in my mind, as a hospice organization, we can't rely on, you know, our bigger health systems and partners. We have to be able to, you know, sort of fend for ourselves as we did with getting PPE and even getting, you know, vaccines. We have to be able to be self-sufficient. I do think that in overall in healthcare, I think telehealth and virtual visits have been, you know, a great addition. I think there are so many ways that it can help supplement traditional medical care. I don't think traditional medical care will go away, but I think we will continue to see more and more use of technology, um, more and more use of, of virtual visits, because there are ways that this actually can improve people's health and prevent, um, you know, some crises. So I do think that those technologies will be utilized uh, more in healthcare. I also think that more healthcare might move out of the hospitals and into the homes where, you know, we saw that if people were in facilities, they were much more likely to get COVID than those people who were, who were receiving care in their homes. So, you know, I hope for organizations like ours, that is something that we can see grow in the future, out of, a good thing to grow in the future out of this pandemic. And if, when people, I think when they were able to stay home or go into one of our hospice houses, family members were able to still continue to visit and be with their loved ones. So that made, I think that made a world of difference for a lot of people. So, it, you know, it was a unique year. I hope we don't repeat it anytime soon, but I think what we showed anyways here at Kia Dimensions is that we bobbed and weaved and we adjusted and we were able to still, you know, provide that care to our patients and take care of our staff at the same time, which was very important because without staff, we couldn't take care of the patients. So we came through this, you know, not unscathed, but we, I think we did a really great job. And I think we had some learning, you know, we learned a lot along the way. And I think hopefully we're ready. And hopefully, well, hopefully we don't have to be ready for the next one, but we continue to, to grow and develop and work through whatever comes our way, which I think was great. Um, so everybody knows I always do a quote, you know, during our, <laughs> during our podcast, Mary, I always throw a quote in there, don't I? Love and this quotes, one, uh, love the quotes. I know I always have to. And this one I found from Christopher Reeve. And I just, I just thought it was, it kind of went with the theme today, but he said, a hero is an ordinary individual who finds the strength to persevere and endure in spite of overwhelming obstacles. And I think that's what we had this past year. So I thought that was really, that really fit well for us. So that ends our show today. Stephanie, Stephanie Patel, our medical director. Thank you so much for joining us uh, for Living Forever, Not an Option. I think, you know, we're going to invite you back. So be prepared. <laughs> you never know what topic we're going to come up with yet next. But we have some great topics and some great um, podcasts that are upcoming for our listeners. So stay tuned. And Mary, you have anything to add before we leave for today? No, just look forward to the uh, this coming year. And I uh, want people to join us on the podcast. And uh, again, love to having you, Stephanie. Happy to come back anytime. Wonderful. Thanks for listening to Living Forever, Not an Option with Lynn Skarmis and Mary Crow. To learn more about Care Dimensions, please visit our website at www.caredimensions.org or check out our podcast website at www.caredimensions.org 
backslash podcast. We would love to hear from you with questions or comments. Please feel free to email us at podcast at caredimensions.org. And of course, you can always call our office at any time. The number is 888-283-1722.